The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is partnered with Red Energy. Moving is hard, but switching your electricity and gas is easy with Red Energy. What do we say? Don't Don't shoot shoot the the messenger. messenger. Don't Shoot the Messenger with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. And here we are again. Welcome, everybody, to episode 299 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson. I'm here with you on this fine day with my friend and fellow podcaster, Corrie Perkin. Hello, Corrie. Hello, Caro. Hello, potties. And uh, we have just one week before we turn 300. That's so, pretty exciting. So, look, the, the tickets have pretty much sold out. There are still a few left if you're... Very keen to come along and see Brad Scott, the coach of the Essendon Football Club, and who else, Corrie? We have Anna from the Op Shop coming, and we have Miles, of course, Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store. We have a couple of giveaways, and I think it's fair to say that the AFL season 2024 will be big on the agenda. It will, as will Miles's March Mixed Dozen, which we will be launching on the night. Um, Miles is going to talk to us this week, Corrie, about what we want to have in our hand when we're watching round one of the football, what we'll be watching, what we'll be drinking when we're watching the footy. Don't have to drink when you're watching the footy, but it does make it more fun. Well, if you're home on a Friday night and it's awful and windy and foul outside and it's 10 degrees and you're inside watching the Hawks, actually that's not going to happen because I don't think we have a Friday game. But anyway, if you're watching your favourite team, it's always nice to have a glass of wine in hand. Caro. Corrie, we are going to, we're going to, move into a bit of a cultural sphere today. I've been up to the Art Gallery of New South Wales and seen a fabulous new exhibition. You um, are going to deep dive into something you've seen closer to home. And I have read a cracker of a book, an unputdownable book, a real page turner. You've been on Netflix and I've also got a fabulous recipe. That sounds great. I'm looking forward to hearing about this book as well. So, Caro, um, do we have any housekeeping correspondence or apologies from last week? I don't. I think the mailbag is pretty empty. Potties, get writing to us. Corrie, Feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Corrie, we've got a clean slate, let's face it. I don't think we Unusual. made any mistakes last week. And if we did, we corrected them on at the time. Um, I have a cultural, did you see that, which... Um, is somebody who I just loved growing up, who I found out recently um, died, and I want to talk about her career. But can I kick you off with my trip to Sydney? Yes, please do. I am dying to hear about your trip to Sydney. Well, I went up to... And then next week or sometime, I'd like to hear about how the Bridge Congress, all the plans for that are going, Caro. <laughs> do, you want, do you want me to tell you, I just want to tell you a little secret? <laughs> this is so naughty. As I was um, leaving the pod from last week's recording, um, one um, Craig Hutchison <laughs> um, EA sort of beckoned me over and said to me, can you give me some details about the Gold Coast Bridge Congress? He said, Craig wants to know. I said, you are joking. <laughs> Was that, and she whispered that to you. I heard her say that. And Caro, Caro <laughs> I said, is she going to Congress? <laughs> are you giving something away here? I just nearly fell over. I thought, please. And apparently, he his instructions were, "Ask Caro; she knows all about." <laughs> so, once do you think I, he'll do? Do you think he'll do the dress up fashion parade? Once I picked myself up <laughs> off the floor, and um, realised that in fact, no, it, Craig was asking for a friend. In fact, he oh, was asking, that's what they say. He was no, he was asking for a family member. But classic Craig, you know, leave everything to the last minute. It was like a few weeks before the event. We've all booked in months ago. I mean, we're already talking about next year's Congress, which is the dates have changed. With so much... Jordan's here with us producing us today. Jordan also does the sounding board. Jordan, have you heard anything about Craig being in the Gold Coast vicinity at the time of Bridge Congress? <laughs> Wait for it. You might. He, he, he might be going. He might be going up to see Pink. No, look. I, I think. I think Craig's father was a bridge player. Anyway, I was very. I found that very amusing. So, Corrie, I flew up to Sydney with Brendan just for a very, very short trip because we bought tickets, as I said on the show a few weeks ago, to see Paul Weller. Paul Weller was is a fabulous, fabulous British musician, guitarist, pianist, songwriter, singer. Came into fame in the late 70s, early 80s with The Jam, you know, going underground, town called Malice, that's entertainment. Then he branched out with a brilliant, brilliant band, which was my favourite band when I was living in London in the 80s, called The Style Council. Um, Long Hot Summer, 
my ever-changing moods, head start for happiness, walls can, come can, tumbling I can, down. Oh, I can still see all those videos on Countdown in my head. As Paul um, told the audience the other night, um, Shout to the Top, um, which they played, is uh, Russell Crowe's favourite song, apparently. Really? I think he thought because he was in Sydney he needed to say that. And... Um, Anna from the op shop was there and she sat next to a couple of pommy muso producer types and they said, Paul's got such a big ego, you know, he'd only play at the opera house. But he sold out three shows in the concert hall. Gee, that's great. Um, and big audience, everyone went nuts. It was a brilliant concert anyway. But during the day... And it was your husband's first time at the opera house, It was. It? So it was our was first he, time... Yeah, together. Was he suitably impressed? He thought it was great. We had dinner at the opera bar before. We caught the ferry there. Oh, you did the full Sydney we experience. We did the full Sydney experience. And that day... We went, we ventured into the subterranean depths of the art gallery of New South Wales, their new gallery, which is next door to the old gallery on the domain called the Tank. Well, it's not only the Tank, it's a whole new, amazing new glass structure. But if you go down this wild spiral staircase, a little bit like um, Mona, I mean, it felt like you're in this massive, massive dark room called the Tank, and it's where they used to store... um, the fuel, the diesel or whatever it was for the hips. So you can still smell the fumes when you're down there, just sort of light Lightly, smell. Otherwise you'd all be fainting. It is a brilliant space for an exhibition. And this exhibition was um, upstairs and downstairs. Is it, is it round, did you say? Like a tanker? A fuel? No, it's, no it's, it's, it's square. Right. It's a massive square room. And it's called, it's, it's a sort of a day and night exhibition um, about the life and all the work of Louise Bourgeois, who I knew nothing about. Um, a French woman born in the early part of the 1900s, died well into her 90s in New York, where she spent the second or second part of her life. She came from a family of tapestry makers in Saint-Germain, um, married a New York art dealer, famous art dealer, and um, went and lived in New York, had three children, Corrie, she did these unbelievable sculptures. She painted. She made totems. She used, in the towards the end of her life, she got together all, a lot of her old stuff, her old scarves, and made a beautiful series of pictures. She used buttons. She um, did sculptures of scissors back to the sort of tapestry-making days. I remember the spiders, the well, oversized spiders that she put in public spaces. Well, the, at the front of the original Art Gallery of New South Wales is, the, is her most famous spider called Maman, which is a tribute to her mother. Her father had an affair with her English <laughs> tutor. How would, you, how would you feel if Rose or Clem or Ned created an artwork of a spider and well, called it Caro. They made they go to great pains to explain that the spider is a a wonderful, wonderful symbol of motherhood. And there are more spiders down in the tank. There are torsos. Charlotte's web. Different yeah, exactly. See? It, Mo- uh, mother of many I and mean, then dies. I mean sacrifice, self sacrifice. Corrie, fifty people could have a drinks party inside Maman, inside this spider, outside the front of the art gallery of New South Wales. And there are more Upstairs, there's an up. It's sort of upstairs and downstairs. Night and day is the theme of the exhibition. Bizarrely, oh, it's been extended now till April, and that's why I'm talking about it. You really should go and see this exhibition. Next door at the main gallery is Kandinsky, another great exhibition. But people who went to both on the same day say that Kandinsky leaves you a bit cold after Louise Bourgeois. He um he was obviously very troubled. He was a tortured artist in many ways. In the fifties and six early sixties, he virtually did no art and entered into psychoanal- psychoanalysis. He then um, did a lot of work in a space called The Foundry in New York. He made some beautiful things. And the, the stories, there's, there were some just beautiful pieces of work, but little pictures, beautiful ta- little hand-sewn works, massive sculptures, the totems, as I said, other sculptures. There's a room that's all sort of just blue. It, 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 it sounds, Carol, like the exhibition designers who... I believe are always the unsung heroes of these things. They've, they've done a fabulous job here. Well, you know, not according to everyone. The Australian panned this exhibition. Oh, really? Said she was overrated. I know the SMH and the Age gave it a big tick. And honestly, if you're thinking of going to Sydney, um, I think at mid-April it sort of ends. It is just a wonderful, wonderful. It's not. You're not going to need more than about an hour and a half. Um, and it's just a great thing to do. So. That was my cultural experience over the last few weeks. And um, there's a fair bit 
coming up that I'm pretty excited about too. But before I talk about that, you want to talk about the, um, is it the Bunurong Country, Art and Design in Frankston? It is. Look at this beautiful book. This arrived the other day from, um, oh, stunning. from my friends at the McClellan Gallery. Thank you very much for sending this book. The reason I received this book, Caro, is that the Sorrento Writers' Festival in April once again will have an art component, three or four or five sessions dedicated to art. And Dr. Jane Eckert, who was involved in the festival last year as a as a panel member, She's actually written or edited this book, I should say, with Lisa Byrne. And at first you think art and design in Frankston, mm-mm, you know, that's interesting. And this book it so completely puts this particular place and the that area of the Mornington Peninsula and the that part of Port Phillip Bay, and it's foreshore, into such incredible perspective in relation to um, particularly 20th century um, Australian art, but also it goes back to the original First Nations um, Bunurong people who were um, like, you know, like all First Nations communities, just so focused on storytelling and creating art. And, and certainly um, there are, there's, a, there's fabulous explanations about that particular community prior to European settlement of Port Phillip Bay. But look, there's just so much in this in this book that I love. And in fact, the, <laughs> I think what we're going to do is we're going to have to have a breakout session after the festival, maybe a, an art lunch or something in May or June, and really delve deep into this because there's so much, um, so much richness in this book, which is produced by McClellan Gall- Gallery, as I said. I mean, you know, Architecture, Caro, Walter Burley Griffin and his wife, Marion Mahoney Griffin, created so many homes um, in in the early 20th century in this area. Roy Grounds, Robin Boyd in the 50s and 60s. Oliver's Hills. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And Oliver's Hill is, you know, dotted with them if you can still um, find them. Um, Some of Victoria's great tastemakers and art collectors um, had had places down that way. Uh, I think of Sir Daryl Lindsay, who, of course, for many years was the director of the NGV and a painter himself, and his wife, Lady Joan Lindsay, who wrote One, Two, Three. Get Hanging Rob. Well done. And, of course, Dame Elizabeth Murdoch, who, um, as a young bride, was given the property called Cruden Farm by her older newspaper proprietor husband, Keith Murdoch. And, of course, over the many years, Cruden Farm became, its gardens became uh, artwork, but also she was a great collector. Um, during the en plein air movement of the 1880s and 1890s, there was the Heidelberg, Heidelberg School doing their business up um, north of um, north of Melbourne. There was also a group of painters doing seaside en plein air. Um, Harry and Nan McClelland, we have a lot to thank them for. They were siblings who created an artist colony on Long Island at Frankston. And then, and they painted and they had many painters down there. And of course, so many seaside scenes um, were, came as a result of their um, their little colony. As we see on the artist's walk around Porti, Sorrento, Bligari. We absolutely Rye. do. We, we, we can all see, like we can all be part of this because they're scenes that we we know, we've loved and we still love. But the McClellans, Caro, they lobbied for many years to have an art gallery established in their region. And of course, eventually they were successful. And in 1971, the McClellan Gallery opened. And then there are the Boyd family. The Boyd family, Emma Minnie, who, who who was a wonderful artist, and her husband um, Arthur Merrick, they had a um, their big pottery studio and all of their their own kind of art world in Murrumbina. But their beach cottage was at Rosebud. So a lot of their work and a lot of their children's, like Penley Boyd, the young Arthur Boyd, even Martin Boyd, their son, who was the writer. A lot of his writing was inspired by the Frankston area. So this book is rich and fulsome. Um, and we end, of course, um, well, up the end, there's a chapter on Rick Amor, one of my favourite Australian artists who is a Frankston boy. So lots of walking down memory lane. I particularly loved the architecture part of it because that's a bit of a favourite of mine. And um, yeah, I just wanted to just really highlight. And also, if you're down that way, everybody, go and visit the McClellan Gallery. Check on the website when it's open and go and have a visit. It's it's a rich treasure chest. Well, as you, <clears throat> as you know, when I became a copy girl at the age of 17 at the Herald, I was copy girl to Alan McCulloch. Of course. The and that's critic. my other book. Look at this. Oh, there you go. So he, this is another book I, I wanted to mention. I used to make his tea. He used to, we used to have the, 
we had a great relationship. I loved working with Alan. Look, this is a really fond, this book just came out too by Rodney James, the art curator, and it's called Letters to a Critic, Alan McCulloch's World of Art. And this is a tribute to the longtime art critic of the Herald. And you've just mentioned him. What a lovely man he sounded. Art critic from 1951 to 1982. And again, at the festival, we're going to be highlighting this book because I think anybody who can take other art forms, be they music or um, art, the visual arts, or even ballet and opera, and write about it in a way that the people who are not there can have the visual, the mental picture. Um, what a talent that is. And having been a long-time arts um, writer and reporter, I can tell you it's not an easy thing to do. And I think Alan McCulloch was a true champion of his craft. And this book was also dedicated to him. So I have a couple of books there. I know it's not BSF, but I did want to sort of mention that. And we're also looking forward to um, later in the year, um, the um, well, the Melbourne Winter Masterpieces series this year at the NGV will be the Treasures of Egypt. So that's going to be um, classical Egypt. So that's going to be really exciting as well. And I am, do you know what I just bought tickets to yesterday? No idea. Talk, speaking culturally, Richard Clapton. Oh! At the Memo Hall in St Kilda. Girls on the Avenue, Richard yep, Clapton. that's it. Oh. Capricorn dancer, same bloke. Oh, wow. I'm also, what, what else are we going? Well, I've, I'm about to go to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, which oh, is... Oh, that'll be lovely. Which I think is going to be the last ballet. I think it's still at the um, State Theatre. And then, of course, later in the year, I'm really looking forward to Oscar Wilde, which is going to be held at the Regent, where the Australian Ballet is going oh, to move. Oh, so much. And um, for a few and years. we're going to see Heather Mitchell as Ruth, Ruth Bader, Bader Ginsburg. Ginsburg. And our friend Georgie, who is um, the president of the NGV Women's Association, has pointed out that in May they're having a high tea um, with Christina Campbell Pretty and it's titled Femininity and Feminism, The Power of Women. So if anybody's interested in that, make sure you get onto the NGV website and drill down and find out all about that. I used to get, in, I got into trouble by the assistant to the editor for um, getting special biscuits for Alan McCulloch when I was his copy girl. Not the chocolate ones. Well, he sort of realised, we got onto this lurk or he got me onto this lurk when I got these special biscuits and I'd pick them up every week out of the editorial. I mean, you know, he, he was just a lovely man and there was a few, three different men I was sort of basically looking after, but Alan was one of them and he was just so lovely and so interesting. And in fact, I ended up being given one of his earlier books on the history of Australian art, or whatever that mm, big, big encyclopedia, yeah, the McCulloch yeah. Encyclopedia, yeah, of Australia, which I think An Mum gave me. Time. Um, just on biscuit politics, so we've, what you and I have worked in several offices. I don't think they have them anymore. Probably occupational health and safety, all those hands in the cookie well, jar. Well, they're in the fridge. In the cookie they jar. Do not touch. These belong to so and so. But they used, there used to be a, a biscuit barrel in our offices, and um, it was usually Arnott's assorted, not the cream assorted, just the regular. And you could never find a Scotch finger biscuit, ever, ever. I think maybe once in probably 20 years did I ever score the Scotch finger biscuit as the tea lady came well, in. They actually, they served at Bridge, at certain places where I play Bridge. Oh, another reason to take up bridge. I always go for the savoury shapes or the cheese shapes. And they've just introduced a big um, jar of nuts at one of them too, which goes down well with people who are, just don't feel they can have it. There was even, what about the people with the false teeth? There was even Tim Tams one day. Oh. I know. And apparently the MCC. Anyway, we, I digress, Corrie. I think it's time to have a drink and talk about what we're going to have when we watch the first bounce. Search princewinestore.com.au, bringing Melburnians the greatest one in the world. Let's open the cocktail cabinet and let's welcome Miles Thompson to the show. Thank you again to Prince Wine Store, who sponsor this segment, and their wonderful wine and other drinks. Um, last week, Miles, you mm. talked about rum to great um, to great acclaim. Delicious This rum. week, look, we're getting closer to the footy season, and it's as we know, it's starting a bit early this year. Um, we think we need to you to advise us and Prince Wine Store. Remember, that's princewinestore.com.au, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. You're going to tell us what we should be drinking in front of the footy. Absolutely. I've got a few things today, so to try to cover all the bases for, for anyone who enjoys the footy. Well, pardon the pun, but kick us off. <laughs> 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 
Carol, of course, you, Carol, you won't be drinking in front of the football because you have games to cover and important things, information to impart. So you stay sober, thanks, on the sofa. I'll be there, but I also occasionally don't go to – I don't go to every game and I'll be very much sitting in front of the TV. Yeah. If, if no, My husband might want a beer. Absolutely. So what sort of beer – what's a new sort of nice beer he can get from Prince Wine Store to drink? So Kaiju, who are who – are, uh, um, very local and uh, full disclosure, one, uh, one of the owners is a friend of mine, but they really make fantastic beer. His brother's the brewer. I think I've talked about Kaiju before. Anyway, his brother's the brewer, really, really talented guy, sort of, you know, started home brewing and then moved into the sort of brewing field and they make fantastic stuff. This is their cerveza. So they're just super crisp, easy drinking, light, fresh lager essentially is what it is. So it's called the Kaiju cerveza. So... Like just crispy, you know, it's the kind of don't think, just drink. It's not about, it's <laughs> deliberately not like those hot bomb IPAs or those super drink. kind of full on crazy drink. It's just meant to be like a session beer and it is fantastic. I mean, think Cerveza, think it's got a bit more going on than say some of the, the sort of bigger brand sort of, you know, things that I'm trying to think of. And full alcoholic like strength. Heineken or VB or something. Well, yeah, probably, probably more similar to Heineken. It's that lager sort of style. Um, How do you spell kaiju? So K-A-I-J-U. And kaiju, I think, is Japanese for the, you know, like the big monsters like um, Mothra and things yeah. like that. Th- thank you. Thank you. Um, mega um, comics. Um, yeah, exactly. That sort of stuff. Is it full duty alcohol? Uh, I think it's four, four point two or something. So it's not all the way up there, but... Yeah, it's full strength. So Brendan will be asleep Ooh, by three-quarter time. Not quite a mid-strength, but not. Unless the Bombers He'll be reaching four for the red up. at three-quarter time if the Bombers are losing. So, uh, yeah, we so can... if you like those German sort of style, crispy sort of pilsners and things like that, this is spot on. We I think, buy it in with bottles? The cans. A cans? Cans. Cans is all the all the. All They're the all rage, the rage, baby. aren't they? Yeah. Are they? Yeah, because um, if people who came to our younger folk were bringing cans left, right, yeah, and centre this summer, sort of moved maybe four or five years ago to, to cans. It's easier to transport, easier to recycle. Um, they protect the beer because they don't let any light in as well. Easier to sort of chill because they, you know, because of their sort of thermal properties of aluminium. And what I'm There's loving a lot about of real all advantages the advantages to them. So what I'm loving about all the cans are the can designs. Yeah, it's so good. You know, it used to be just VB. The kaiju <laughs> <was it>. standard <laughs> colours. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Kaiju stuff is really cool. It's worth checking out just for the labels online. They have a designer out of the States who used to be a game designer or does game design sort of graphics. So really cool. So we buy a six-pack from Prince Wine Store? At least a six-pack. Well, we might buy a slab. Can you give us a vague cost? Yeah, it's about. I think it's about 22 bucks for a six-pack. It's about $4 a beer or something like that. So Good value. You can buy them by yourself. You just want a couple of beers, you're welcome. We don't so, mind if you want to come into the store and just you know pull a couple of cans off the six-pack and take them home if you want to try them. Um, Miles, I don't drink beer, so what am I drinking while I watch the footy? Oh, what do you want, a white or a red? Oh, I don't know. What do I feel like? <laughs> well, for the first couple of months, it'll be... Still not entirely cold, March, April. So let's say white. White. All right. So I have got Deepwoods Sauvignon Blanc, which is from, I know I didn't talk about Sauvignon Blanc much here, but Deepwoods Sauvignon Blanc from WA. Um, really fantastic winery. Um, this is maybe a little bit different to some of the Sauv Blancs that people have tried because he, they put a, their Sauv Blanc in a bit of, in, in barrel. So it gives a bit of kind of richness and texture, this lovely kind of like slippery sort of thing going on, that little extra time in barrel. Gives it a little bit of extra kind of like depth and richness as well. Um, but it has all that lovely sort of green pea, kind of lemon-lime sort of freshness. Bit bit, bit bigger, a bit bolder than, a, say, you know, those sort of fruity Marlborough Sav Blancs or s- some of those Adelaide Hill Sav Blanc. It's got a little bit more sort of depth and richness. So it's a nice go between people who want something kind of like fruity and fresh and maybe somebody who wants something a little bit heavier, but it's not like, it doesn't really taste oaky. It just has this lovely kind of like slippery sort of richness to it. That's really, really nice. Fantastic. Like really fantastic. I'm not a huge Sauvignon Blanc drinker, say, when was but the this last is, this is so good that it's. When was the last time we talked about Sauvignon Blanc on the Yeah, that's why I thought it might be a good cabinet. one. The, it was a very 90s thing, wasn't it? We used to live on Sauvignon Blanc. Mm. That, the New Zealand ones, Stonely on repeat. Yeah, and then and then we went. What was the South Australian one? Shaw and Smith. If yeah, you were going which is still up market, yep. 
So this is Catalina more, Sound is another good one. Why do so Why do you think more people like turn Smith, but with a bit more that barrel work gives it a bit more richness. It's really good if you've never tried these sort of styles before. They're fantastic. It's still got all. Miles, why do you fresh. think people turned off Sav Blanc ten years uh, ago? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Why do you think? Twenty years ago, I think ago. a lot of people still drink Sav Blanc though. I, I I think like last time I heard, maybe a couple of years ago. Um, Cloudy Bay was still kind of one of the largest selling brands. Yep. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I think maybe people like us. It, it is. We, don't, it we is. might not drink it, but I think it's still very popular. You'll go to a restaurant and there'll be a group of people and someone will say, oh, you choose a white. And you'll say, what do you want? Or anything but Sav Blanc. Mm, mm. I know. Why? It's so weird. Because it used to be like Why years ago. In the 90s, Blanc? it used to be Riesling or anything yeah. but a Riesling. And then it was anything but a Shardy. I think the it's cheaper one's go. got a bit of a metallic yeah. taste to yeah. it. But this is too sugary. And I think they're a bit, you know, particularly out of Marlborough, and this isn't all of them, I don't want to disparage Marlborough Sablonk, there's some really very good ones. But, you know, they came a bit one dimensional, sort of tutti fruity sort of thing. And that's what, often why you see winemakers who do work with Sauvignon Blanc, they sort of move to maybe doing some winemaking techniques to try to add a bit of interest. And that's what this does very well. It, that barrel sort of ferment knocks a bit of, and it's not all barrel ferment, just partially. So it just knocks a bit of that kind of top end fruity thing out of it and makes it a little bit more sort of serious, but you still got all that lovely lime zest and passion fruit and the kind of lemon lime bitter sort of thing the going passion on. passion fruit, yeah. So it's deep woods from WA, yep. the Sav Blanc. How much is it? So 26. And what, what about red? So red I did um, hand-picked um, regional selection. So this is um, this is a, a group that actually has several vineyards. They have vineyards in McLaren. They have some stuff in Yarra. They have some stuff in Tassie, and they're all about sort of showcasing regional expressions. This isn't their McLaren Vale Shiraz. So we went through a whole bunch with the winemaker uh, sort of pre-Christmas, um, and we got this in floor stacked it down the front because it's fantastic. That really sort of classic McLaren Shiraz, which is that – that beautiful kind of liqueur fruit, that cherry pip, bit of licorice, kind of star anise spice. It's lovely mid-weight sort of style. It's not a huge Shiraz, but it has plenty of like lovely, juicy, kind of chunky sort of fresh fruit in it, that lovely sort of spice. Um, really sort of easy drinking, a little bit of tannin there, but just enough to sort of give it a bit of structure. Uh, really fantastic stuff. So perfect. And so was it called hand-picked? Yeah, so it's called hand-picked. And it's their regional series, and this is the McLaren Vale Shiraz. How much is it? And that is uh, 26. I think probably just looking at my fixture, we have so few night games, poor old Hawthorne. I think probably Gold Coast, 12th, uh, is it 12th or 13th of April, 7.30 p.m., that's when I will be having that yeah, glass of red. It's a bit be, early in the day, four o'clock, to have a red. You'll be watching other games, Corrie. You won't just – I mean, Peter will be watching the Bombers – and they, on the 12th of April, they're playing the Bulldogs, and that's a perfect one. You probably wouldn't be going to that game, or Pete wouldn't. Friday night, take the top off a bottle of the um, – I think you might be going for the Deep Woods that night. Do you reckon? Yeah, it'll still be quite warm, won't it? Pete won't be might be having cold. the Kaiju. might have a six-pack of Kaiju for $22. <laughs> not having six-pack. He might have two if he's lucky. Uh, well, he's bought a six-pack and <laughs> finished them off <laughs> over the next over few the weeks. Week. Exactly. I oh. love the idea, though, don't you? I mean, I, you know, look, I love summer. I do love summer, but there's something about looking forward to the footy season and those excuses to be at home to watch a game, you know? Absolutely. On a Friday night. Settle if in. you don't have something on, you don't get FOMO because you're watching your team play footy. It's Absolutely. good. After no, the, something nice to eat and just well, sit if, and have a couple of drinks. And I'm a Richmond supporter, so there won't be many Friday nights for us either, Corrie. Where the Tigers have been absolutely smashed in the um, fixturing commercial. Oh, go tell someone who cares. Oh, it's ridiculous. Oh, that's anyway, what happens when you win all those premierships. Miles, they are <laughs> – no, it's when the, the league decides to punish you for some ridiculous reason. The Kaiju, which is a fabulous beer made by, full disclosure, a friend of yours, <laughs> but it sounds brilliant. And you it's can buy good. a six-pack of the Kaiju, just a classic beer. for Classic 20, lager, yeah, classic if you like lager. those lager sort of styles, it's perfect. $22 for a six-pack. The Deep Woods um, from WA, Sav Blanc, for $26. And remember, if you put in the M-E-S-S promo code, you do get a 10% discount. And then there's a hand-picked which is a regional series, McLaren Vale Shiraz. Mm, delicious. Also $26. Yeah, fantastic value there. Miles, what can I say? Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers to you. 
Move with Red Energy and they'll cover your standard connection fees. Eligibility criteria and conditions apply. BSF. Books Green Food. Now, Corrie, it's time for BSF, brought to us, as always, by the wonderful Red Energy. And I am going to kick us off because I have read a book by your good friend, Dolly Alderton. Love, Doll. It's a new one. It's called Good Material. I'm holding it up for you. Um, It's a love story. It's an anti-love story, really, but it's sort of a love story. If you're a fan of Nick Hornby and all of his books, um, High Fidelity, of course, was one of them, About a Boy was another, you will love Dolly Alderton. Now, you brought Dolly Alderton into my, brought her into my sphere with your favourite former podcast, The High Low. Mm. I think she did it with Pandora Sykes. They did. I miss it. Two very gorgeous, cool sort of writer. bit like us. Celeb types. <laughs> well, I'm not blonde. That seems to be one thing. I think they're a little bit younger than us. A little bit younger than us. <laughs> She seems to have a lot of great celebrity friends, Dolly Alderton. I never heard, listened to one episode of The High Low, but I know it was a smash hit. I know Piers Morgan didn't like it, said it was just two posh blondes talking gibberish, but um, others say that it was absolutely brilliant. Now, this is her second novel. It, as I say, is sort of an anti-love story. She also wrote um, her first fiction novel was called Ghosts. This is the story of a breakup. And it doesn't end the way you might think it will. It's about Andy and it's told, most of the novel is told through the eyes of Andy, who at the start of the novel is dumped by his girlfriend of nearly five years, Jen. They're an unusual couple. Most of them in their mid-30s. Most of their friends are, uh, they've got both got big circles of friends. Most of them are having babies, settling down. They've all got career issues, you know, all, all the usual stuff that's happening to them. But Andy is blindsided when Jen dumps him, completely blindsided. So Dolly's writing as... A man. As a man, interesting. And he's very much a... The the character even reminds me of some of Nick Hornby's characters. But look, he has got a way with words. He's bloody funny. And it's a real page turner. What happens late in the book, and this isn't a spoiler alert because it sort of tells you this on the back of the book, on the dust cover... So you suddenly hear a couple of things from Jen's point of view as well. Ah. I should mention that Andy is a stand-up so comedian. Andy, Andy's the unreliable narrator. They're both reliable. They're both unreliable. Their friends are hysterical. Their families are really interesting. There's I love a book where you have the unreliable narrator and they turn out to be the murderer or something. Love that. There'd be a bit of that, or he's not a murderer. I don't think that's a spoiler alert. Look, he's he's basically the career woman. He's a, a mediocre stand-up comic. And when you see the title, Good Material, I think that's a bit of a hint to where oh, this might gosh. be going. But you can't put it down. It's a complete page turner. My daughter, Rose, who was a big Hilo fan like you, said if you're a Hilo fan, it she's not sure that it translates that well from being a real dolly aficionado to reading one of her novels. But because I've never listened to the high-low, I've read this and I just, I really loved it. I mean, it was just a re- easy read, great read, funny, poignant. Like the book I reviewed last week, Nathan Hill's Wellness, there is a backstory to both members of this couple and both of them are semi-tragic in a way. But um, no, it's a great and it's a great book about the UK. Great book about London, about Birmingham, where Andy comes from. Bit of Edinburgh film, Edinburgh Comedy Festival. So, highly recommend this if you want a good easy read. Dolly's very smart, very sharp, and she's a real uh, um, barometer of the zeitgeist. I guess you could say, a commentator of social affairs and pop culture and all that sort of thing. She's really, really clever, and she's a terrific writer and a great communicator. So I guess I can see probably where your daughter Rose is coming from there. If is it chicklish or is it a bit smarter than that? Oh no, it's smarter than that. Good, I think. I'm glad. Oh, well, I will have a read of that. It's um, it's great. You can borrow it if you like. Oh, thanks, Don. That's great. Now, um, Corey, we're going to move to screen now. You have been on Netflix, and I have not heard of this show. Ah, uh, it's a new movie, and it's called Good Grief, and its co-creator, uh, or its director, I should say, director and main actor is Dan Levy, who was Schitt's Creek co-creator, actually with his dad, Eugene, who also plays his dad in Schitt's Creek. Oh, this was recommended by one of our potties. 
Oh, was it? A couple of weeks ago. Oh, was yes. it? I don't remember. Well, yeah. I just stumbled upon it. So thank you. Maybe it was inadvertently in my head. Um, and this is Dan Levy's directorial debut. And it's a really beautiful movie, although it has a couple of issues relating to the script. I would have liked to, in some parts for it to have been a little smarter. But on the whole, this one worked for me. I just want to say a... Um, I just want to say that if you've recently gone through the trauma of losing someone, I would not suggest that you watch Good Grief because it's very real and it's very raw. But um, it it um, and you think it's going to be shallow, um, and don't watch the um, don't have a look at any of the shorts because they kind of it almost suggests like it's a Bridget Jones diary esque kind of comedy, and it certainly is not. Um, Dan Levy wrote the screenplay. He stars in the film, as I said, and he directs it. And it's the story. He plays the character called Mark. Um, Dan Levy himself is Canadian. We don't know Mark's background, but just by his accent, we're assuming he's a Canadian who's living in London. He has a wealthy and hilarious and successful author husband, Oliver, who's played by Luke Evans. You might remember Luke Evans, Caro, rather dashing, maybe he's 38, 40 years of age, Welsh actor. He was on Girl on a Train. And also he was the detective in the Pembrokeshire Murders. And he was also in Nine Perfect Strangers, which many people remember um, because of the Leanne Moriarty connection. But um, husband Oliver dies suddenly and Mark's grief is intense. And we watch him recover over a year and um, after this sudden and terrible um, death. And on the anniversary of his husband's death, Mark uncovers a secret which kind of demands that he must go to Paris. So he asks his two best friends, Sophie and Thomas, both played, one played by, Sophie's played by the Irish actress Ruth Negger, who's wonderful, and Thomas is played by Himash Patel, who was in the EastEnders, not a show that I watched, but many people would know his face. They're both wonderful 30-something actors, British actors, or Irish, sorry. And um, and both um, Sophie... Um, Sophie and Thomas appear, they're at the opening scene and they're at the moment of the sudden death announcement and they're through the year of Mark's recovery. But they really come into their own as individual characters and we learn about the friendship when they kind of hit the road and go to Paris together. Unbeknownst to them, Mark has a mission to uncover the truth. They just think they're going away for Paris to Paris for a weekend because Mark says, who's inherited all of this money, of course, and he's an artist himself, but he says, I think you've been such wonderful friends. You deserve to come with me. <coughs> so they head off. Now, Dan Levy applies a light brush to this story. Um, his acting performance is terrific and there are moments with his grief when he's dealing with it and th things that he says, which is obviously Dan Levy, the writer, are so profound and so deep. I was bawling like a baby, having been through a bit of grief myself over the years. Um, I found this a real trigger, and um, and in a, in a good way. Um, but the Thomas and Sophie friendship is really fabulous. It's it raises questions as you're watching it. You know, who would we turn to in a crisis? Which friends of ours allow us to totally be ourselves? Um, which friends can you speak forthrightly to? And which friends are joyful when you actually find happiness? So I kind of loved that. But um, it's the grieving heart that's at the core of this movie. And, um, you know, as the BGs say, how can you mend a broken heart? And Levy tries through this film. He said in an interview, because I wondered, I had to Google, like, how can he write so profoundly about death and act the part, you know, with such emotion? And it turns out that um, he was very close to his grandmother who died during um, the COVID pandemic. And he said, I hadn't experienced a lot of loss in my life, um, but experiencing this grief as an adult, I found myself very confused about what I was feeling. So clearly this process of writing this film script had was, was, a, was a catalyst for him exploring grief. I think it's a terrific little movie on Netflix, and that is Good Grief. It's funny because Good Material the novel by Dolly Alderton, they're also two best friends. And um, Andy's best friend, Ari, is married to Jen's best friend, Jane. And they're starting... Well, that's like a bit like Harry Met Sally. When Harry yeah. Met Sally, do you remember? Yes. And in fact, um, but, but, but Ari and Jane have introduced these two originally. So, and they both play a big part in the novel. And it's also a novel about grief and about a broken heart. 
And, you know, in the end, Andy, you know, he speaks very profoundly about grief too. Dolly Alderton writes very profoundly about breakups and what grief is all about. But also, you know, there are a few points you go, oh, Andy, look, get a grip, you know, get over it. Stop drinking. Stop behaving so badly. Stop being such a drag on all your friendships. And I think, you know, in the end, that does happen. It's a bit like in, you know, that brilliant show Afterlife with Ricky Gervais. You know, his grief is just too much to bear, you know, but it, but that's what it is. Mm, it is. And, and having to deal with it is, and he writes very, well, he speaks this character, Andy, in good material, probably like your Dan Levy. And friends who are part of your grief too. I think that's the interesting thing to explore. Friends who are there just in an uncomplicated um, and I don't mean rush around with a casserole kind of way, but are there when you're at your rawest and are there when you're grumpy and, um, you know, grief affects people in many different ways. A lot of us go to sleep. I mean, I just remember after my dad died, I seemed to sleep a lot for the first year. It was bizarre. Mm. But, you know, there are some friends who just kind of go with you and then some who walk away because it's just way too difficult to talk about or deal with. It's very strange how grief um affects you. It's always different to everybody. And it's interesting to see the effect that your grief, your grief grieving moment has on your friends and friendships. So I kind of loved all those trigger points. As I said, a couple of weak spots in the movie, but on the whole, I thought it was really terrific. Now, Caro, onto a lighter note, which is, sounds like a lovely light recipe, grilled chicken skewers and smashed cucumber salad. It is, Corrie. Is that a relation to the smashed avocado? Well, Apparently, smashing cucumbers is all the rage. Remember last week, Miles, and you were talking about, what did you do to your limes again? Muddled them. You muddled them. Well, well, now I've got out the mallet that I used to use to, you know, smash meat, and I've applied it to the, to the common <laughs> cuke. To various football coaches. Well, remember I said, remember I said um, a few weeks ago that I've got all these fabulous cucumbers from my cousins, Wayne and Steve-O, from their farm. And, you know, they're big. And, you know, I've made cucumber sandwiches. My sister's making chilled cucumber soup. I mean, there's all, there's only so much you can do with cucumbers. Greek salads, obviously, are great. Pete put them in the oven the other night thinking they were zucchinis. <laughs> well, I've got zucchini. Like you, I have zucchinis too. But this cucumber salad, which goes beautifully, it's a recipe out of um, country style. And it's by that bloke, um, Steve Cumper. Friend of the pod, country Fr- style. Yeah, well, Friend of the pod. Well, we're their friends. I don't think, they, I don't think they've made, paid much attention well, to us. Well, they should because we mention them often enough. Well, this is, they're back to their, they had, had a few lean months, the old country style, but they're back to their best at the moment. And this recipe um, comes from an article called Feast on a Stick. And it's by um, the columnist Steve Cumper, C-U-M-P-E-R. Now, the cucumbers are the hero of the dish. The, the grilled chicken skewers are, are pretty easy. You just basically um, cut up chicken thighs into skewer-sized bits and you add oyster sauce, hoisin sauce and sesame oil. And then you do, do them on the barbie. Yum. Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems to do the whole, um, you know, those skewers that are made out of sticks and you've got to soak them in water. Well, I've got metal skewers, so I just use oh, them. Oh, do you know the, the $2 shop near, our, near yours and my place? They sell them, but I think you have to buy them in sets of 500. Yeah. And you're You'll so, be skewering for the rest of your you've life. You've got to soak them in. Have you ever tried doing it on a rosemary, piece of rosemary? No, but I do like Very that look. I've, I've seen Donna Hay do that. Very effective. But the cucumber, now I've got these huge cucumbers. You basically peel the cucumber, you cut them into um, five centimetre pieces. I would actually say to make them even smaller. So you've got the, and you're cutting it down the middle. So you've got the seeds staring you in the face and these five-centimetre chunks of cucumber. Don't hold back and wear an apron. <laughs> did you know cucumber... Stains. On a white T-shirt? Mm, yeah. Who knew? Mm, I did. Smash away until it's sort of got a bit of a well in it, a bit of a well in the old cuke. And you put them out on a nice flat plate, and you add this beautiful dressing, which is made up of crushed garlic, fish sauce, grated palm sugar. I just put in a piece of palm sugar and let it dissolve. A bit earlier. Why I, do you have to grate it? Well, probably it get it's fresher or something, but my palm sugar had been in the fridge for a while. <laughs> it didn't really need it a stronger grater, so I just let it dissolve. Anyway, um, lime or lemon juice, rice vinegar, lime leaves. I used macroot lime leaves, oh. formerly known as kaffir, and you top it at the end. Well, you actually top it at the end with... Um, a cup of, if you're doing it for four people, a cup of roasted peanuts chopped up 
and more sliced red chilli. It looks beautiful. Can you show us a photograph of it? I will. I took a photo. I'll put a photograph on the show notes. I think you should do that. And I've taken a photograph of the ones I did and the dressing is beautiful. Keep it for the next time you're doing it. Can you show me the photo? I will. I'll hold it up. Yeah, everybody can see it. Oh, that looks very delicious. Light, delicious, really filling. You could do it. um, I've done the cucumber salad twice now and I've also done it just with porterhouse steak and nothing else. Mm. That's all you need. A lovely piece of steak, a bit of homemade horseradish, yum, or bought horseradish, and um, the cucumber salad. So that is grilled chicken skewers and smashed cucumber salad and curry. Absolutely delicious. There is no Mr. Cobram in this recipe, but that but doesn't mean... we send mean, our love anyway. You know what? I sprayed the barbecue with Cobram olive oil spray. Before I did the chicken Well, there you are. There's a mention. But that's Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold pressed in northern Victoria. And that is BSF brought to us by Red Energy. And Caro, our next segment, did you see that? Did you see that Melanie Safka died? Yeah, I did. I I felt real. And I saw our friend Ian's post, a photograph of his sister reading the words of the album in, I think he said 1971, that was me. Candles I in the rain. I had a little beetle, so the beetle was his oh. name. Look, she, um, I didn't know much about her. I mean, I that album we all had, Look What They've Done to My Song, mm. Alexander Ruby Beetle. Ruby Tuesday, wasn't that a great rendition? Yep. Um, Caroline, in my mind I've gone to, that was a James Taylor song that she covered better than James Taylor, I reckon. Ruby Tuesday, better than Mick Jagger, I reckon. Um but uh, look what they've done to my song became a massive hit and that was also on the album. But the song that I just adored, which was inspired by the performance that made her famous when she played at Woodstock, only two women played at Woodstock as without male backing, just on their own as women. And the Janice? other one, no, Joan Baez. Oh, no, Jan, didn't Janice play, didn't Janice she sing? Had, she had male backing, backers oh, around her. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, and okay. so did Joni Mitchell, but not um, Melanie Safka, known as Melanie she had a beautiful voice. It still resonates with me. Um, she had basically performed around coffee houses in Greenwich Village and stuff before she went to Woodstock, and that was by far the biggest audience she'd ever played in front of. Made her famous. It started raining, and I think people were holding candles, and that's what inspired her to do that unbelievable song with the gospel backing, Lay Down Your Candles in the Rain, mm. and it was it sort of became an anthem didn't it really? Lay for, down, lay down. For protest. And um, anyway, she um, she went on to, ma- did she, mar- she married a musician or a record producer or someone sort of, anyway, they had children. They announced her death a few weeks ago in early February. She spent most of her later life in Nashville and she died at the age of 75. And at the time that I'm talking about this, her um, cause of death was not named. I mean, she was only 75. She was so beautiful, Corrie. Mm. As I said, born in 1947 in Queens, New York, um, lived for most of her later life in Nashville. She continued, she was very big in France, used to perform at music festivals around the world, really right up until late in her life. I know, I remember she was on John Fain once. And then in, um, what in, I think, Apparently, he always had weight issues and he went on this stupid detox starvation diet where he only had cucumbers, speaking of, or water or something, for about 20 days. And he was so weak with hunger that a doctor said, you're hallucinating. And he was outside of McDonald's. So he went into McDonald's and bought a burger. And that burger gave her an epiphany. And she sat down and wrote the words to the song that became her biggest hit, Brand New Key. You know, I've got a brand yeah, new pair yeah, of roller, roller skates, skates. which How was amazing. banned in some parts of America because people thought it was either drug related. It was about a, a homage to a drug dealer That's a or, really it was a, good anecdote. or it was dirty. It was a really good anecdote. I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, she, uh, she did a lot. lot. She did a lot of covers as well. She just had such a pure, beautiful voice. I loved her. She actually was married to a record producer. His name was Peter Skekarek or something. He died um, before her, but... Yeah, she had lots of great hits. She never really achieved the fame of the, you know, that she ended in the early 70s, but played around the world to great acclaim around England, Scotland, Wales, obviously France, came to Australia. Vale Melanie Safka, 
And Corrie, now it's time for six quick questions. I want to thank Red Energy again. And I want to ask you, now this, we're, oh, I, I, well, we're sort of cultural, but we're going to move into sport for a moment. despite the theme We're still on the podcast. Mornington Peninsula, though. What local Mornington Peninsula sporting event do you wish you could be a part of? If this is this weird sport you keep telling me about. <laughs> no. <laughs> Pickleball. Do you know they're doing pickleball now at the Sorrento Community Centre? I know. Center? I saw it. When I said to Greg, oh, can we have the centre again I for the Writers' it. Festival? I said, I'll have to work it out around the pickleball. Um, this is the Pier to Perignon, which was held last weekend, Caro. And I've, I, I mean, forgive me, it's kind of um, upmarket um, title. 34 years ago, Ted Bailey, former Premier and a very good swimmer, Ted Bailey and his mate Robbie Robertson decided to race from the Sorrento Pier to quarantine. And the winner, of course, um, gave the other. Oh, sorry, the loser gave the winner a bottle of Dom Perignon. Okay, so oh, sort of toffee. Very posh. Yeah, toffee, toffee background. But now hundreds of people do it and it's organised by the Portsea Surf Lifesaving Club, which is one of our finest and, of course, um, don't ever swim anywhere at Portsea other than Portsea Back Beach other than between the flags. And they do it as a fundraiser and it's huge. And it's a four-kilometre swim, but you, they, they, they time it, of course, with the tide going out of Port Phillip Bay. So you're swimming with the tide. However, four kilometres is nothing to sneeze at and I've just always wanted to be a part of it and years and years have gone by and I've thought oh, this year I'll train and this year I'm going to take up swimming and I never do and I think probably now maybe it's too late but it's just always something that I've wanted to do. Of course Barry the Stingray who lives under the Portsea Pier is somewhat off-putting for me as well. Corrie one word train you're not too it's not too late. It's what about Barry late. what do you do about Baz? That, he's very friendly. Well they say that. Very friendly. Just my luck on the day that he's just having a bad day and he decides to <laughs> sting. Caro, what local Mornington Peninsula cultural event have we completely overlooked? Did you know there was a Rosebud Film Festival? Oh, no. It, it was on in early February. There was a little article that someone pointed to my direction. I was going to um, debut Did You See That with the Rosebud Film Festival, but it was your turn to do one a couple of weeks back. The, the Rosebud Film Festival runs for three days on the Village Green in Rosebud. It's it's a short film festival. The Village Green is the retirement centre. Yes, it's a short. Oh, it's a well, it's on a big green. Look, I've I've got I have to get the details. The Village Green. Oh no, it's the Village Glen is the wonderful. Yeah. Um, sorry, the Village Glen is the wonderful, wonderful um, big retirement village there. At the it's back not of at Rosebud. the Village Glen. It's on a big green. Right. It's at Rosebud. It goes from outdoor Fe- cinema. This year it started on Feb 2 and ended on Feb 4. It starts with a feature film on the night of Feb 2. It then has a full day of short films, most of them by local artists, but a lot of them from people around the world and showing films that have been shown all around the world and showcased and won awards, etc. And then on the, I think it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then on Feb 4, which was a Sunday, there was a um, sort of a, a big film sort of festival day, um, a big workshop about filmmaking, Q&As, Meet interviews. the stars. Well, yeah. I mean, there are probably not that many famous people involved, but it's been going for a few years. Wow. It started out with about 500 people, apparently thousands of people. Oh, wow. We're where at the are Rosebud. We? Well, where were we? Where were we? And as, as a cultural leader in this space, I'm a bit disappointed I'm telling you about it, quite frankly. I know. The, Flind- <laughs> the Flinders Fringe is on coming up this weekend, guys, so don't forget it. I'm just aghast that I didn't know about the Rosebud Film Festival. It's also sometimes known as the Mornington Peninsula Film Festival. And next year, Corrie, we need to get around it. Now, speaking of festivals, the Riders Festival tickets have gone on sale for the Sorrento Riders Fest. Mm. Give me, um, hit me with a few events I should be looking oh, at. Oh, Caro, where do I begin? Look, I don't know. Everybody, jump on SorrentoWritersFestival.com.au and have a look yourself. I think there's 131 or something to choose from, maybe a few more. I think there'll be a, there's a lovely series that you're going to be a part of too, actually, called Between Us, where two friends talk about the ties that bind. You're doing one with Deb Conway, friend of the pod. Stephanie Alexander is doing one with Paul Bangay. I think that'll be lovely. Our friend Mark Downey is doing one with Magda Zabansky. And Grace Tame is going to do one with Julia Banks, the former Liberal politician. So I think that's a really lovely series. Again, you pop up in the Friday night Talking Footy event, which was a big hit and a sellout last year. 
Brilliant. So I think that'll be big. On the is Sunday, Mike Sheehan back. Mike Sheehan's back, and Sam, Sam Lane's back. back, and my brother Steve, former producer of the Footy Show, is going to be the moderator. So um, that's pretty good. Now I can't choose, but just following the theme of podcasts because that's what we're on. We've, we have an event on the Sunday, which I think if you love podcasting, you'll adore. It's the power of the podcast, how they impact storytelling, record history and generate vital discussion. And it stars our friend John Sylvester, Sly of the Underworld, who has a very good crime podcast, true crime podcast, Jesse Stevens, who not only is the author of um, a fiction work of novels, but she's also part of Mamma Mia podcast, and Hedley Thomas, our mate from the um, from the Australian um, in Brisbane, the Brisbane Bureau. Is he teacher's pet? He's teacher's pet. So he's going to talk about that. So I think that's going to be a great session. And just um, one more, perhaps, because we, you and I love popular culture, the newsreader unpacked why this ABC series made brilliant TV with Mark Downey, the series writer Michael Lucas, William McInnes, who plays the, um, not Max, um, the plays newsroom chief, based he- on John Sorrell. Oh, he's terrifying. And Lisa Miller of the ABC. Um, Brilliant. Who, it's her favourite show. Um, so I think that's going to be great as well on Sunday. Anyway, everybody, go and have a look. That's um, it, it, not as big as the Rosebud Film Festival, but we're getting there. We're trying hard. It swept all before it at the um, Actors Awards a couple of weeks ago, the newsreader. Well, Mar- I think Marg Downey was hardly done by her winning. Well, Heather Mitchell won Best Actress in a TV Series for Love Me, and she's very good in that. I think she's a great actress, great actor, Heather Mitchell. But I thought Marg's performance in Series 2 of The Newsreader As Evelyn. was one of the m- more brilliant acting performances. I and agree. A- apparently, we're going to see a bit more of her in Series 3. So Happy I'm looking to hear. forward to that. Caro, on the eve of Season 2024, who is your coach to watch? Luke Beveridge. Oh. Oh. It'll be really interesting. This could go either way. Corey. Wow. You remember when the podcast first started in 2017 and the doggies just won were the right flag. up there. They were still right up there. And I said I had a crush on Luke Beveridge. You looked at me aghast. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Anna from the op shop might have admitted a similar crush. Oh, you girls. Corey, what advertising pitch surprised you? Um. We were on the beach the other night, you and I, and somebody, a dear friend, bought out a packet of potato chips. And this is called the potato chips, um, hand-cooked chips, crafted in the Yarra Valley. Corey, we we then got on to some of the... So how do you hand-cook a chip and why is it crafted in the Yarra Valley? Well, what about the one with the plums? You know, where are the plums from? The flavour, not Patagonian plums... Anyway, they're a a plum from somewhere in Australia and they're a brand of chips and you just go, how on, and some sort of lime and plum. Does it make us want to buy it more because it's crafted in the Yarra Valley, do you think? And when they say craft, I mean, is somebody there actually cutting the potato into the size of a chip? They were very nice chips. They were were delicious. I can't say no to a chip. I (laughs) Um, just got to get them out of my life, I think. um, I agree. And there's Um, some really good ones around at the moment. Anyway, that was an interesting... They they were yummy. They were delicious, but it was just interesting. With their rosemary in there as well. Yeah, rosemary and thyme. Yeah, they were yummy. Parsley sage missed out on that one. What is your favourite late flowering summer flower? Um, I can't go past the dahlia. And there are some beautiful dahlias out at the moment. And the great thing about dahlias is when you think summer's over, they just keep on flowering well into March, sometimes April. They come at the best time to plant them, I think, is October, November. Certainly that's what I've done. They say that they suffer from rot or dry rot or some sort of rot over winter. And that's why people dig up their dahlia tubers or bulbs or whatever they are. I never do. They always seem to come back. They are the most rewarding flower. The old-fashioned ones are the ones that flower the best. But um, I, I bought quite a few at Bollebeck, that beautiful property, that beautiful garden fair in Mount Massenden. What colour did they turn Late up? last year. Well, one are white with a tinge of purple, but they're so pretty. But most of them are beautiful, um, either bright yellows or lemon yellows. And I've got some mustard, some rusty-coloured ones. They're pretty beautiful. If you cut them and you have them in a vase, though... You've got to just, it's that fine line. You've got to pick them at the right time. <laughs> you've, got, you've, got to throw, you've got to throw them away before they drop because one morning you'll wake up and they've dropped all their tiny little petals and that's a mess. 
on Valentine's Day the other day, don't give me a rose, give me a dahlia. Seriously. And they, they complete, they, they sort of, what do you say when they spread out? Like they keep. Yeah, they self-germinate, um, yeah, not that, germinate. Um, they pro- propagate. They you. propagate. Propagate. They spread. They disappear completely yeah, over Don't winter. forget with your Aggies, everybody, if you're deadheading your Aggies, um, the flowering part, which is no longer flowering, but the seeds, all the goodness is still there. Give them a good shake in your garden bed. Shake, 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 shake. And all the little seeds, you never know, you might just end up with a few more Aggies next year. Is that what you want? More Aggies? They oh, just I do. spread. I love them. I love oh, no, I love them too, but I love dahlias more. And dahlias in a vase, they spread, they disappear over winter, so they don't take up space in your garden when you don't want them to. They, they're so beautiful. I just think they're the most wonderful flower. So there you are, Corrie. Good to know, Caro. And that was um, six quick questions and that was our little podcast for today. We'll see you all again. Well, all of us will, all of you will hopefully be listening to our 300th episode at Bell's Hotel on February 29, only days away now. Um, that is February 29, 5.30 for 6 o'clock. It's going to be a fab night. We've got Brad Scott. We've got Anna from the Op Shop. We've got me and Corey. We've got Miles talking about his March mixed dozen. We've got footy tips. I'll give you, um, you can find out how I did in the Bridge Congress. Can't wait for up that at the one. Goldie. Can we, Jordan? That's the, going to be, be so exciting. There'll be news about, you can all meet Joel, our new producer back from Super Bowl. And Corey, it's just going to be a fabulous event. So thank you again to all our wonderful sponsors, Red Energy, obviously, Prince Wine Store, obviously, Cobram, um, ex- Cobram, ex- Cobram Estate Extra Virgin Olive Oil, just the way to go. And Corey, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Thanks for listening to Don't Shoot the Messenger with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. We love hearing from you, so join us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Don't Shoot Pod or email us at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And if you'd like to support the show, the best way is to tell a friend to listen. Your word of mouth recommendations are really appreciated. And of course, please support our partners who make the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast possible. Red Energy. Moving home? Trust Red Energy to power what matters most. Copper Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold pressed in Northern Victoria. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. PrinceWineStore.com.au